Great Books, a TV podcast. I am one of your hosts, John McMahon. Joining me across the desk, she has no stigmata, but she is caring for a sheep that is actually the Virgin Mary, and yet the church refuses to recognize her. It's Regan Levin. <laughs> Regan, it's the young Pope time yet again. I'm so glad to be here. Um, <laughs> I'm glad your hands are doing okay. Yep, my hands are uh, doing fine. Um, uh, sheep um, having a little snack out back of the <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> outside your office. The true, the true patron saint of not quite great books is the Mary sheep. Yes. Yeah. Um, performed any miracles lately? Have you turned boil necessary water into non boil necessary water anytime? Uh, yes, I have. Um, dear listeners, my street is currently under a boil water advisory, so I continue to do lots of boiling of water so yeah. I can have clean dishes. Okay. Any other miracles you've had to perform this week? Oh, putting together a whole bright space uh, <laughs> learning management system page. Truly needs some divine together intervention in, in there. Three hours. <laughs> that is that is is indeed uh, miraculous. It sounds like it's been quite a quite a miracle full of filled week in your life. <sighs> Truly. Or- I mean what are white women expected to do at any given time, save for perform miracles? <laughs> I actually think that's the perfect segue into this episode of The Young Pope, uh, episode four, directed by Paolo Sorrentino, written by Paolo Sorrentino, Stefano Rulli, and Pepe Fiore, and David Zaslav should pay as writers. Regan, what do we have for the IMDb summary this week? Sure. Um, so, as Voyello continues his secret campaign against the Pope, he manipulates another into joining his plot, while the Pope himself reveals radical new plans for the church. Wonderful, or not so wonderful as the case may be. So you had a, a, a theme to link as several of the developments in this episode. Yes, it was the power of bodies. Yes. This is a very body-centric episode. Who most embodies that, if you will? Several people, but um, we're going to start with um, my my girl, Esther. Ah, who Ludivine I, Savigny is, I believe, the right. actor. Yeah. Ludivine was also the name of a French woman I had a big crush on. She was my homeroom teacher when I was studying abroad. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ludivine Glaude, if you're listening, it's no, don't worry, it's fine. <laughs> anyway, so Esther um, in this episode is um, ultimately called upon by Voyello um, to seduce the Pope. Um, which is going poorly for everybody in general because she admits that she, in the grand scheme of things, what any good Catholic girl would do is that she's not experienced in seduction. Um, she doesn't know um, what to do. She is not that kind of person. Um, I mean, we just saw um, two episodes ago a very, very dispassionate sex scene with her and her husband yeah. in which she seems to be praying through missionary style, which... Uh, not my favorite you know it's not what i would do in that situation um she is also um just told to do a lot of things as if she does not have um like control over herself or her body um or what she needs um i think a particularly poignant scene um early in the episode is when she asks pope lenny to to teach her to pray um and so she gets down on her knees with him um, in front of um, the statue of Mary. Mary is also a common theme in this episode. And he says, well, 
pray out loud and gives her like a lot of like ridiculous feedback, frankly. <laughs> um, not with a writing instructor <laughs> and me, whatever. I, do. I heard no questions, right? You always gotta ask a question and giving writing feedback, right? No no questions from Lenny. No questions from Lenny. He just um, tells her um, you know, she asks the Virgin Mary to bless her with a pregnancy, and he says prayers should not include a request. It yes, should be no lists of requests. Right. No lists of requests. It should be reflective. Mm-hmm. Um, and self-reflective and, um, you know, a time to, to think with God. An occasion for understanding is his line, I think. Yes. Um, really what I put together is that Lenny thinks that your prayers should be your middle school diary. Um, for someone like arrested on some level psychically at the age of seven at which his parents left him at the orphanage is perhaps apt then, that, that analogy. I think so. Because there's a long tradition in Catholicism of asking for things yeah. um, through prayer, such as like long-standing tradition of a novena or um, other requests, such as prayer requests, which, which my college will do through their um, newsletter for alumni. Oh my, fucking, I, oh my fucking God, I hate that shit so much. Um. Uh, you know, I think, like I said, th- there's give and takes. The nun always sends me a birthday card with a poem inserted. Okay. You also get the monthly um, alumni newsletter. Are that they sending includes, good poems? They're usually kind of old school poems. Okay. I'm not going to judge Sister Mary Marianne Barrett's taste. Like she's she's doing enough already yeah. by writing every alumni a birthday card. Like we're talking like handwritten. Yeah. Wow. That's... It's the same card. But yeah, yes, of course. It, it is handwritten. She includes like a it's a cutout poem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it, it always says in like beautiful, perfect cursive old lady handwriting, "Dear Regan, happy birthday, blessings, Sister Mary Ann Barrett." Congrats. It's kind of great. Yeah. <laughs> they all, she also thinks I have a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not opposed to that. I mean, if she's going to bestow it on me, that's fine. <laughs> um, I do not as many. <laughs> As we know, I'm a fan of of sisters, and I think that they are the people who do the most good for the Catholic Church. Um, So otherwise, she gets all of this instruction on how to pray and how to just do all of these things, um, which I thought was pretty interesting um, as she is a young woman um, and is clearly someone who is a devout Catholic, has studied, and should know what she's doing. so that was that was my takeaway about Esther and some of uh, the starts of Esther. Yeah, and I think framing Esther in terms of the power of bodies is a meaningful way to do so because there's a way in which I think part of her um, like internal psychic religious struggle that is constantly being interrupted and like more obstacles set in its path by Lenny and by Voyello is indeed about it. She says like giving her beauty or like recognizing mm, her mm-hmm. own beauty, but seeming, I think both Lenny, I think Voyello definitely, obviously, but maybe also Lenny want her to like give that beauty over to another right now for Lenny. That's like, give your beauty over to God and to Mary so right. that you can have mm. a child. But there's still this way in which like we have both of them recognizing her as a beautiful person. Um, Roy Ello going at it from like the sin guilt angle, right? Like you had sex with Valente and I'm going to tell everybody that, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're going to sleep with Lenny so that I can then use that sex, right, as a means but, of yeah, control and, like, weapon. tool of political manipulation. Right. And it is very much a weapon for her because yeah. she both used against her and that she's trying to use. Because I think she also, it's clear to me she thinks that if she just gets pregnant, she can, like, 
remove herself from this situation, which also brings us to the scene. Um, can we can we wait to get yes, to the scene? Because um, I want to talk about the first, I think, longer conversation between mm-hmm. the two of them, the two of them in this episode, where they first start talking about beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, because Lenny, like in some ways, in a very self interested and as he admits presumptuous right, way, right. Um, talks about beauty, and he's you know says that um, Esther's mistake, and here's I think to your point about like mm-hmm. Lenny as in like instructor, but like right. Papa instructor in chief. Um, is saying, you know, you have to, like, give um, or let your husband rejoice in your beauty. And then Lenny goes with the God does not punish beauty, which mm. Esther then repeats later in right. her prayer in front of Mary of Lourdes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's this, I think, complex way in which Lenny and the show, in which the show itself is trying to... There are these little breadcrumbs of opportunity for Esther to try to, like, generate her own power for herself through and with her body that like keeps also being constructed um restricted constricted um you know oppressed and like you know and and caged and manipulated and all of those sorts of things by the patriarchal institution of the church and those Mm. carrying out the paid those agents and individuals carrying out its patriarchy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think it's also really interesting that that's what lenny says about beauty because i think there's a lot to be said for the church's stance on vanity and those two things are not interrelated Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or not not interrelated i should say Um, and that, like, I, this is a real throwback, um, to a book called The Magic Circle by Donna Jo Napoli, which is, um, the main character is literally just called the ugly one. And she's like a very ugly woman with a very pure heart. And that's what saves her from like eternal damnation is the fact that she is, um, no one will ever do bad upon her or tempt her into things she should not do because she is so ugly. Um, which I think is quite interesting. That book is also marketed for young adults and probably mm. shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do have questions based on your summary. Um, well, it's also a, like a revision of um, Hansel and Gretel. Okay. So super kind of interesting meta look at um, the power of breadcrumbs. <laughs> <laughs> um so, uh, I think... Do you, it, do you think Lenny is vain or just, like, matter-of-fact oh, yes. about his beauty? I think he is vain. Because here's okay. the thing about, like, beautiful people who are in power is that they they take advantage of that. And it can be... Like, we have talked with other colleagues about pretty privilege and how that is a thing. Um, like, we know in our everyday lives that, like... Um, RateMyProfessor.com used to have the chili pepper rating, uh-huh. right? And usually the hotter the professor, the higher the rating was of yep. their teaching, which is not great. Um, really glad. In, in, in any direction for any gender of teacher. Right. Yeah. It's particularly bad for women, yeah. but um, it is usually something that like is viewed as like a weapon or something. Or I think of my, my younger sister. Her confirmation name um, is after St. Rose of Lima, who um, is a martyr who... Um, basically died for being too beautiful um, mm-hmm. and, like, ended up, like, self-harming um, in order to stop men from being tempted by mm-hmm. her. And that was consi- that's considered to be, like, mm-hmm. a pure thing. So it's kind of interesting that he says that, says that, but we... I feel like there's also a lot of good people, like, running around, like St. John the Baptist, infamously ugly with bad hygiene, but, like, <laughs> a good guy overall. Yeah. That goes with, like, the life of Jesus. But I think Lenny, yes, is very aware of his privilege as someone who is very good-looking 
And he uses that to his advantage. By both being young and beautiful, he um, manipulates people around him because we do associate beauty with goodness, mm-hmm. um, which I think is just part of human life. Um, so, but I feel like Esther doesn't have that sort of intention. She's like just really in it for God. So good for her, but yeah, no. I mean, there's a there's a purity of devotion that the show ascribes to her, um, yeah. Which is, I think, fascinating given that, like, we do find out that she had sex, she had an affair right. with somebody in the church who presumably mm-hmm. had you know, taken a vow of chastity and right. is a creep, as we right. found out last episode, right, yes. Valente? Um, and yet, like, the show. And in some way literalizes this with, like, her arguing back and forth with Voyello or trying, Ruta Voyello trying to manipulate her in terms mm-hmm. of, like, Esther seems to have, like, all right, I am, I've repented for my sins and, like, I'm looking to start anew. And for Voyello, like, this is obviously a political or manipulative tactic, but maybe it's also, like, indicative of his deeper belief about sin, as we kind of find out later um, in his conversation with Girolamo, that Esther is a, has permanently and, like, eternally sinned. Mm. both by, like, virtue of the human condition as far as Viola is concerned, but right. also, at least in the manipulative way, by, like, her one, quote-unquote, sin with Valente. Right. Mm. And then Esther has this line when she is, like, praying correct, quote-unquote, right. correctly, um, which then, like, becomes a conversation not only with God, but also directly a conversation with Lenny, where she, you know, is like, well, what if I want to donate my beauty elsewhere? Um, to which Lenny is like, mm-mm-mm. Do, do the rest of the prayer <laughs> silently to yourself. You're good. You got it. Like, to construction well and, like, finish, finish this one off silently. Right. Because Lenny's resistant to the, quote-unquote, seduction attempts. Right. That um, Esther has been manipulated to do by Boyello. Yes. Um, he, I think, is also, like, very clearly just uncomfortable with, like, the feminine experience, mm-hmm. clearly. And I think just... Um, someone also like I keep going back to like that opening dream sequence where yeah. he's like crawling through the pile of maybe dead babies yeah. I don't know um, where I think, I think some he also, of them are moving but it's unclear uh, yeah. if unclear yeah. um, but he I think is also uncomfortable with the human experience yeah um, and struggles with it yeah most of the time right there are these little glimpses where he's actually quite like charming suave and dashing like i think about the scene in the bathroom with sophia yes right where like sophia is in the pope's bathroom which is you know like people are fucking up in arms about like trans people wanting to use the bathroom and like lenny makes a joke about this like this isn't a gendered bathroom it's the post bathroom but of course (laughs) that is a gendered bathroom right but like then it's very at ease with um, Sophia doing you know a very right. like conventionally attractive feminine act of like putting on red lipstick mm-hmm. and like they have like a very much a like nice banter between them right. and that's been consistent since the second episode. But Lenny is also not threatened by Sophia because no, he exactly. knows he has exactly. he knows he has power over her. Yes, but he has power over Esther. But or, in, but not in the same yeah. way because Esther is so devoted to mm-hmm. religion that he's and and Sophia has not betrayed any sort of religious. Fervor. She wears a tiny cross, but right. that's it, which Super is presumed. Probably a requirement of like working right. for the Vatican, one right. would assume. Right. So she's representing, I think, some secular interests of the church, mm-hmm. and he, I think, doesn't know how to interact with that. Yeah. Doesn't know how to interact with. Um, doesn't know how to interact with um, Sophia as anything other than an actor of business and marketing and other things, economic power. Hmm. I I don't know if I agree with that. I think that. 
One of the funny, many funny lines of this episode is Sophia telling Lenny in that scene that, like, he really understands women, <laughs> which I think yeah. is, is readable both as she's saying that seriously mm-hmm. and readable as she's making fun of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, the depth of their connection, like, they actually seem to be operating on the same wavelength. Yeah. Even though you're, I think you're totally correct that she brings the secular presence. Right. Right? But, like, she's a... She's a like normatively attractive white woman by different standards than Esther is a normally a normatively attractive white white woman, I think. Right? Because yeah. like there's the secular version which is Sophia and there's the religious version which is Esther. And like I think the show is maybe trying to like play that binary of to your point like how is Lenny relating to these different conventionally attractive blonde white women? Mm, okay. Um Okay, fair, fair point, yeah. <laughs> All right, but I've, I've just been stalling. I've been teasing before we get to the scene. The scene, right, in which Esther gets railed. Good for her. <laughs> um, which I think is just, if I, like, really, I had to, like, stop and rewind several times and just go, like, is she really doing that? Great. Good for her, I guess. Um, but Esther um, decides she's going to, she's really going home, like, going yeah. um for the home run. Because and she tells Lenny that she's sterile. Yes. Right. Right. And Lenny says, you know, he gives God does miracles, blah, blah, right. blah, pray. And, right. Right. We also all know that it's usually the man who is um, sterile in any situation. Fun facts, everybody. <laughs> um, so, she, t- like, instead of doing the, like, traditional missionary pose, yeah. um, they fuck standing up, mm-hmm. and she's in front against of a window. Against a wall. Against yeah. a wall, and sort of in front of a window uh-huh. that has bars in, yeah. on it. She's doing the Jesus pose that Lenny always yeah. does. After having, earlier in the episode, prayed in the exact same yes. pose as Lenny. Yes. Um, striking the pose with Lenny uh, goes, and they go, like, go at it. Um... I guess, you know, getting freaky, you never know what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> we'll see. So, meanwhile, Lenny is on the grounds, and he is requesting from the Virgin Mary that she has to get Esther pregnant. He's doing the Jesus pose yeah. and is, like, demanding that this happen. Jude Law's the mo- many, many, many different ways that he has to insistently say you must in that episode is I found deeply moving. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good performance by him. Yeah, it's a great performance. I mean, like, I, I was literally crying by the end of his, like, entreating of the Virgin Mary and of God to mm-hmm. make Esther present. Just with, like, the sheer force of his acting and his enunciation mm-hmm. and, like, the way that, like, every you must comes out through his face. But his whole body, like, yeah. has an extra quiver to it mm-hmm. at every must. And then, like, at one point he gets so caught up. And, like, I'd be interested to know if this was in the script or if this is Jude Law just doing it as he's, um, you know, uh, doing the scene where he just skips the you and just, like, lets out this, like, a guttural must, mm-hmm. right, that does the loud, that lost the you part to it. So there's mm-hmm. just, like, the, the emphaticness. And then there's, of course, the very obvious, like, this is the closest that Lenny, if he's like, if he's actually celibate, like this for him is the closest to sexual expression, right? And there's mm-hmm. the, of course, the pair like him doing that while Esther is getting fucked, 
up against the wall that like ties those two things together. Right. Of course, Lenny like is not is watching this happen. Gets down on his knees, has a brief vision of mm-hmm. Esther and of the Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. um, and him in like white gloved hand with yes. the ring, putting his arm on uh, her shoulder, right. while the Virgin Mary is like in a pregnancy bed. Yeah, um, just like an absolutely fucking incredible scene. No, that was totally wild. An, an incredible fucking scene. An incredible fucking scene. <laughs> Um, yeah, I really was um, thinking hard about this scene as a way of, like, this is Esther when she's at most in control of her body, for yeah. real. Um, I also thought it was interesting that they continually frame, obviously, Peter is behind Esther. Uh-huh. Um and he's looking away, right? The shooting proceeds to make it as if um, Lenny and Esther are facing each yeah. other, right? Which I also was like, oh, great. She wants to get pregnant by the Pope. Fuck. Yeah. Um, like, it's, yeah, at some point she sees that Lenny yes. has, is watching or has yeah. seen them or whatever. Um, I thought, again, I also thought the scene, I, I agree. I felt like that was really quite the sequence with the vision, um, with him and his holiness doing all of that for her. Um, really was very moving. Um, I think that is the most generous we will ever see Lenny yeah. in my mind. Um, and then, it goes against the instructions he gave to exactly. Esther about prayer at the beginning of the episode, right? Precisely. Like, his, this is the most emphatic possible like demand that he could make. And earlier he's like, no, no, no. Demands is not how we pray. Right. When he just makes demands in prayer, it's like, absolve me, repent right. for All me, he or ever like, does is make demand. me believe in you, whatever, in his yes. uh, Jesus the, and that's like just Yeah, happens. his continual theme is that he makes demands of people that he shouldn't. Um, the other thing I thought about this episode is that the way it's shot, obviously Esther is in front of the window that has yeah. all the bars in front of it, which to me I thought looked like, okay, she's being imprisoned by mm-hmm. Catholicism yeah. in this moment. Even at the point when, like, you identified, I think, correctly, like, this is the most free or the most pleasure or the most power over her own body that Mm -hmm. Esther, like, expresses, has access to, and nonetheless, she's still in prison. I don't think she's having a good time. No, I don't either. No. But I I wouldn't ascribe it to that. But she's very imprisoned by the choices she's made to be as devout a Catholic as she is. Yeah. Um, And to marry a Swiss guard, another emblematic thing, um, and to be able to be there um, doing that. So... Um, otherwise, the episode, I think, continues on with some failed um, attempts of seduction with the Pope. And then the, <laughs> what was, I think, the most hilarious moment <laughs> for me is that the Pope. Um, so what earlier in this in the episode, I thought was hilarious is that um, Voyello attempts to slut shame Lenny in order to get Esther to think that this is this is what she needs to do. Like he's a loose man. He's had many many girlfriends. He's done all these things. <laughs> to which I have never. <laughs> if I'm going to criticize a man's dating life, it would be less that he's had many girlfriends and more that he can never be single, <laughs> which I think is a more problematic situation. So I definitely um, thought that was an interesting power attempt by Voyello to have a power shift when we all know that Lenny has only ever had one girlfriend girlfriend for yeah. a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, very middle school. I'm sure he wrote about it in his diary. Yeah. Uh, you don't know her because she lives in Canada. And to say a bit more about Voyello, you know, I mean, I think you're correct, Regan, to say that this episode is about power in the body. Like, Catholicism is about power in the body. Witness Voyello praying to this wall of extremely beautiful, extremely ornate crucifixes 
as he is trying to figure out what he's going to do about Lenny. Is he mm-hmm. going to manipulate Esther? He recognizes his own sin in manipulating Esther. Right. So we have the most prone, most visible display of bodies and power in Catholicism with all of those crucifixes. And the way he tries to mobilize that for his own political power, it's a very Canadian vow of me right there and mobilize. Um, too much time in Quebec recently, I guess. Um, oh, no, it's because you're hanging out with me. <laughs> could be that too. Um, <laughs> but he is unable to fully manipulate people as effectively as he wants, even though he has like a bunch of small successes. Mm -hmm. He stages his attempts to manipulate Esther in very, very powerful and effective ways. There's the, he gets, uh, he has Esther brought into her. There are all these candles being lit. He stages this dramatic walking in, walking out, like questions of light and darkness are being visually represented at the same time that Boyolo is talking about sin. And then that scene actually ends with like this very creepy Voyello whispering into her ear as Amatucci starts putting out the candles one by one. Mm. Staged very beautifully, he doesn't get what he wants. So he uh, sneaks into Esther and Peter's house, leaves a copy of the fucking book about him (laughs) on the kitchen table so that she sees that. And then much like he had snuck into Gutierrez's Mm -hmm. room the episode previous, he sinks into Esther and startles Esther Mm -hmm. because he's just hanging out there and tries once again to manipulate her via slut-shaming, not only her, but now also (laughs) hypothetical slut-shaming of Lenny too. But Voyello's attempts are kind of constantly frustrated. I think this is Voyello. Obviously, we know that he is someone who feels quite aggrieved about his manipulative moments. Um, You know, he confesses to that later on. I think this is him kind of really questioning his decision for one of like, if he can rear up enough scandal about Mm. Lenny, then perhaps he can have a do over. I think he's clearly aware that he's made a mistake by whatever he has done or maybe hasn't done as his claim <laughs> to get Lenny in power. And he knows that's the wrong decision. So I think that's that's his end, seems to be the end game that he's going for. He's trying to bolster himself. Like he says at one point later in the episode, um, he's like, well, I assure you, I'm heterosexual. Um, have I told you <laughs> lately I that I'm straight? But I can't give you any like testimony or witnesses right. or whatever he says. Um for, you know, all of his game with the ladies. But it's a moment of, like, political impotence for him, which I think kind of Mm -hmm. goes back to our theme Mm -hmm. with bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's pretty struggling with that. Um, I also think um, we see here with the continual struggle with bodies as the super crip narrative that's going along with um, Gerolamo. Yeah. Where he tells him, um, you know, this boy who I think is just trying to, like, just do his thing. Um, I'm a fan of Gerolamo, but I do not think he is the most pure, which is why he laughs when um, Voyello says, you are the most pure, Um, you can do no wrong, like, you are here as my friend um, to help um, me be better, like, you have never sinned, is literally the only human in the right. entire world that Voyello can conceptualize who has not sinned, right? Yeah. He says that, you know, he spent his entire career where everybody is kind of insisting that right. they are not going to sin anymore, and yet the human condition is that they're go- they're condemned to be sinners, but Girolamo right. is the one pure figure. Right. Which, like, 
again, is going into, into like the super crap narrative of that, like, if you are disabled, you can do no wrong, yeah. which anyone who knows um, anything about disabled um, identity theory is going to be like, no, this is like such a one note. Look at someone. Drillamo, yeah. I think Drillamo laughs because he imagines nasty situations in his head. Good for him. I, pre- I applaud yeah. that for him. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he's, and he's probably claimed to never sin because no one's probably ever taken him to confession. He probably cannot confess just due to how he is able to vocalize, um, does not seem to be able to use his hands for, yes, for a signing of any kind. And so for Voyello, he can only ever be this oasis. So there's both, and this is, I think, one of the beauties of the way that Voyello is written and the way that Silvio Orlando, and I don't apologize for not having the name of the actor playing Girolamo. Um, he's unnamed. Or, okay. They never named the actor who okay. plays Girolamo. All right. Um, that is notable. Um, hmm. Okay. That's the thing about maybe at a later date, but like Voyello um, expresses a lot of emotional complexity and depth and I think well-roundedness and self-reflection. And then, but one of the mechanisms that he does that through is through this putting of Girolamo on the super crit pedestal on the like pure disability equals purification um, or a different mode of verbally interacting with the world equals pure, like this kind of stuff. So there's this, this constant kind of, um, complexity that keeps getting layered on top of and on top of and on top of Voyello that I think makes him one of the uh, and also like a very m- m- emotionally affecting character for me mm, at least right. and I think that like Paolo Sorrentino has talked about I think maybe in a little bit oversimplistic ways about Voyello is like just a fundamentally good person and I think it's mm. shadier than that and I think he knows that it's more shade more complex I th- than that I think that Voyello is the most human. Mm. Um, I think that he is highly aware of himself, yeah. which I I think that is a good thing is to be self aware. He does bad things for sure, yeah, um, and then does not seem to take confession very seriously. If we look back at Pilot um, <laughs> as he's scrolling on his smartphone, um, latest news about Napoli. Right, looking for the latest news about the Holy Trinity of Napoli. But it definitely... I think he thinks of his work with Gerlamo as being his confession. Um, You know, to my knowledge, we have not heard about Tommaso saying anything about Gerlamo to the Pope. So presumably he's not telling Tommaso about Gerlamo. And I don't think we've witnessed Mary telling Lenny about Voyolo going to see Gerlamo. Yes, that too. Um... Also, R.I.P. Sister Mary. We don't see her at all this episode. That makes me sad. We get her, yeah, in a couple yeah. background There's shots. There's, like, some background shots. But I think, but yeah, no speaking part No speaking. Her. Diane Keaton was unavailable today. Ugh, that makes me sad. <laughs> um... We got some other sisters yes, to talk about, though. But we do have other sisters to talk about. Um, so, um, dear listeners... Let it be known that I schooled John on something about this show. It's, it's absolutely correct. Um, in which we see Sister Suri, um, who at the beginning of the episode is having a rough go. Her sister yeah. is dying. Um, and what I think is done in a really great diegetic way is um, Lenny asks her, you know, why are you crying? All these different questions. And we hear that in static. John thought it was a flourish. 
I noticed, however, though, that Sister Suri is wearing a hearing aid. She is, yeah. And she's adjusting the hearing aid. Yeah. So the static that, you know, is connected certainly, I think, to Lenny's inability to understand or get any mm. messages from God. For sure, that's him attempting to do godly things that he should not necessarily be doing. Yeah. Um, but worked in in a really clever, diegetic way. Yeah, and absolutely. also just some more disability representation. Mm-hmm. Um, the show gets a 10 out of 10 so far for me for disability rep. Um, in which Suri adjusts um, the hearing aid, um, but she's talking a lot. This is the other body that we get, a major body at least, we get in this episode. So we have Esther who's trying to create life, and we have Suri's sister who's at the end of life and dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then gets shipped in a crate from Sri Lanka to the Vatican. Yes. Um, because that is, she, uh, well, Sister Suri also also kind of requests that yeah. in some ways. Because she says if she goes back to Sri Lanka, she's going to um, stop believing in God. Yeah, what a, what a thing to say to Lenny, right? And right. part of the things that Lenny says in static slash with Suri's hearing aid not fully adjusted mm-hmm. um, is... You know, saying sometimes, like, even the best of us don't always believe fully or something like that, which then, like, the audio clears up and we move from, like, the staticky and literally staccato dialogue um, to the the more normal kind of tone and rhythm of speaking in the show or in human conversation generally Mm -hmm. or religious conversation. And then Lenny chastises her for her crying. So it's not only the, the dead body of Suri's sister, but it's also the like body expressing lamentations right. um, of Suri herself. And that's one that Lenny disciplines. Right. Well, just as he does for Sister Biche, yeah. he's very uncomfortable with those displays mm-hmm. of emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think also the other thing that we see is sort of like the other sister in the middle. Um, so the fat sister who they um, come upon, sort of the, the group of sisters that works in the Vatican. Um, they're sleeping in their little caged-off dormitory, which is kind of odd. Nap time. It's nap time, right? It's their afternoon nap, and the fat sister is snoring. And he is kind of making fun of yeah. her um, for snoring and doing an incredibly human thing. Um as if she's not fulfilled any sort of duties of a sister. She's probably done a lot more godly works than Lenny that day. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, speaking of godly works, do you want to talk about Tonino? Obviously, we want to talk about <laughs> Tonino. So this this episode opens with Tonino. Yes. Right? In a show where I think Esther is kind of the main character of this episode. Right. right? It nonetheless starts and almost ends with Tonino Bettola um, and the TV show that he is on. So here we have this like Catholic folk healer yep. who for a year we find out. Um, so I, and I like the way this is staged, right? It just gives you a like what the fuck is happening right. opening couple of minutes. What, my scene. favorite opening of the show so far. Absolutely. Hands, to, hands, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> right. A super interesting opening because it's uh, Tonino come, rides in on a yeah. horse uh-huh. with a hot Italian guy in front uh-huh. of him. Mm, not a hot Italian guy. I think he's kind of hot. Okay. A little too, like, approaching flat top hair for it to truly be hot. I feel like when we finally have Lucia on the show, she will probably point out that there's a variety of choices that Italian men have in her style. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right, so he rides in on a fucking horse. Um, and then it has the the sheep that he claims is the Virgin Mary. <laughs> <laughs> and we get this shot of what, um, you know, I think a lot about like religious revivals yeah. and how in America, where Lenny is from or where 
you know, broadcasting from the religious revi- folk revival or anything like that is usually something done um, by Protestant sects, particularly baptism um, mm-hmm. and Pentecostals. In big tents in the outside is one of the associations right. right, of how they're staged. Yes. Yeah. Um, with, with an animal, but the animals are usually snakes. Um, so, um, or bugs also. Um, so, but instead we have it outside under the sun, no tent, no nothing. Um, going again with the disability rep this time, there's tons of ill people. Some are in beds, some are on the ground, their crutches are on the ground. Some in wheelchairs. Some in wheelchairs, right. And he's doing some folk healing with them, um, with his, what I will maintain are probably fake movie effect makeup stigmata <laughs> even in the canon of the show obviously we know they're not real um stigmata that's like not something you can use your hands with after you after that happens to you so i thought it was really interesting though that again we also see that he d- has decided that mary is is in, a sh- in the body of a sheep yeah. right now um which i think is quite interesting also a very mary centric episode which i'm extremely mary centric i'm super here for that in an episode that as you pointed out sister mary has no speaking ones i know so sad about it. Um, I really, um, I'm going to have to put something else in rectory now that I'm thinking about it. Okay, good. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so again, with the super quick narrative of like, he's going to heal them all. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, that goes down and then later on there's the fake TV show. What? The, the, the host is amazing. Like the asides to the camera slash the viewer of this fake TV show slash the viewer of us yes. and the young Pope. Just one of the funniest recurring bits in the young Pope so far. Yeah. Um, the, her interview style, the, uh, just like the yes ending, but in a very like making fun of tabloid media way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, pre- I'm assuming that's part of what's happening here. This right. is like, I'm wondering if it's a pastiche on Italian media. We'll have to ask Lucia. Yeah. Lots of, yeah, we're just gonna, we're gonna tokenize Lucia is our Italian nowhere. Um, for the show but yeah the and but then there's like the we get some backstory of Tonina Petala mm-hmm. in the in the um, interview which is structurally I like what they did they're like right. what the fuck is happening opening scene where like we get what you what you identified and then it's only 30 40 45 minutes into the episode where we find out what's going on um, and so we get that we get this like folk canonization hero narrative about Tonino Petala. Mm-hmm. Um, it's from Humble Origins. He doesn't want any money. You know, he's just a healer or whatever, right. whatever. He's, he heals, he only sees a, like a hundred people a year. Yes. Um, um, yes. And is best with uh, cardiovascular diseases and yes. the meniscus. Yeah. Uh, heal the <laughs> soccer player, uh, football player, excuse me, uh, Europeans of, um, of their meniscus yes. situation or tendon situation, tendon right. situation. Uh, Probably a torn meniscus. Yeah. yeah. Um, so good for good for Tino Betula. And then makes this like threat slash demand at the end, right? Yes. His his own self-justification moralization, but also the it's hard to be more grandiose than I see the Virgin Mary as a sheep and I can heal you. But he then adds on top of it to say that if I'm not like recognized officially mm-hmm. by the Catholic Church and I've written the Pope and I've tried to make this happen, he says, then I'm going to have no other choice but to found my own religion. Right. It's a fascinating <laughs> choice. So I think my one of my questions for you is, what did you make of emphasizing Tonina Petala? the way that they do in this particular episode Mm. in contrast to Lenny's lack of public display of religiosity. 
Um, well, I really took it as like, this is the sort of thing that Catholics fucking love. Um, <laughs> you know, a Jesus and the grilled cheese, if you will, mm. um, sort of moment. I saw it as like, so Lenny has removed himself from many bodily things. Tonino is getting like right up in there with trying to heal people um, and doing that sort of work um, that like, you know, doctors would do or whatever. Um, and so he, I'm really taking it as like he and Lenny, if they um, ever come together and collide, it's going to be like pretty ugly because here's a man of the people who's mm-hmm. like literally a shepherd <laughs> doing this. Yeah. How, doing how the, more literal could they be? Right. How more literal could you be? Um, unless he was a sheep. <laughs> um, right. Doing the work Lenny wants to be doing. Like, I think it's clear that Lenny wants to be seen as like this mysterious, all healing father yeah. figure. Tonino's doing it. Mm hmm. Whether or not it's real folky, like I don't know, but right there's the there's the mystery austere pole of Lenny, and then there's the folk pole of Tonino, right. and the show yeah. is Tonino further serves to emphasize that, um, like the the tonality of of mm-hmm. Lenny's approach to religion needs yeah. to be the the laity. All right, I think there's one more body power situation okay. we have to discuss. So. Obviously, we have this scene between Voyello and Lenny, where Lenny takes this opportunity to, when Voyello continues to push him about, like, what are you doing about the Kurtwell case? Lenny turns that into a, well, I want to protect everybody. And we're not only going to persecute anybody who's committed abuse against children, we're going to persecute and kick out, we're going to forgive and then kick out all of the gay priests in all of Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And that's the policy he wants to implement and like insists to Voyello against Voyello's like extreme protestations that they're going to, that they're going to go through with it. Um, And this leads to both amusing and like quite sad and poignant uh, consequences in the rest of the episode. Why do you think the show gives Lenny this like extremely anti-gay position? Mm. And and emphasizes it and keeps having Lenny be like incorrigibly offensive to right. probably most viewers of this show. Oh well, one, I think it's an easy thing for him to target because it's such a politicized thing in the moment. I mean, this show's coming out in 2017. Yeah. Gay marriage was passed in 20 Obergefell's 2016. Yeah, 2016. Right? That was such a, a stir. I've t- I mean, I've talked about it a little bit on the show before, I think. Earlier than that. Sorry. Um, where when Overfell um, passed, finally, it was like a huge uproar across the church. Like, they were like, this might be the law of the land. It's not the law of Catholicism. And then I had um, a f- who I thought at the time was a close friend who was a theology major um, and a year behind me in college. I had graduated. He was still in school. Um, posted very vocally on Facebook um, after some Californian Jesuits were like, oh, great. This is wonderful. Fantastic. A very Jesuit take on this. Yeah. Um, Jesuits. They're pretty great. I'm not going to lie. Um, and this guy was, like, furious about it. And he was like, this isn't the way. Right? And I had responded to him. I'm, and this is why I don't argue with people on Facebook anymore. Like, how are you supposed to control that huge of a body of people? There's billions of Catholics on this planet. Um, and every one of them has a different way of, of enacting Catholicism. You can't expect them to all 
be one full holy mm-hmm. and apostolic church necessarily. <laughs> That's not the world we live in. Yeah. And then there was a whole debacle. I was told to shut up, blah, blah, blah. We're not friends anymore. His loss, frankly. True. But it's such an easy thing to go back on because it wins back conservative votes in order to enact further things. So Lenny, if we wanted to say this, I would say it would be easy for Lenny to get involved, particularly in U.S. politics about this, because it's such a a stupidly hot button issue here still, um, that he could he could use this. Um, as a way of getting more folks on board with his agenda who might not necessarily be Catholic. Part of the Pope's job is to convert people. Um, But also maybe work his way into conservative politics in order to make this better for him. I think this is also Lenny being super closeted and then um, being a hateful closeted gay, but... Yeah, some internalized homophobia. Yes, is, some, is some deep thing. internalized yeah. homophobia. Yeah. Um, I, want, I want to correct myself because um, we're nothing if not accountable on not quite great books. <laughs> accountable to what or who is a different question. But uh, Obergefell's 2015, not 2016, as uh, I said. So I was wrong about that. Um, but the there's something as well about the show's dichotomy of Lenny as, in part through his beauty, as you've identified, mm-hmm an incredibly like sympathetic figure. We have Jude Law, who probably most people have positive associations with because he's hot and mm-hmm. he's a great actor. Right. And because we have other roles in which like we identified with him or connected onto him or whatever. Right. Um, and then there's this. So it's like, I think one of the many things that having Lenny be so anti-gay is, is that it cuts against a viewer's natural, like psychic and emotional identification with the protagonist and or main character of a piece of fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also specifically to cut against our associations of Juba or like desire or liking of Juba himself. So I think there's like this kind of metatextual thing that's happening that the show is trying to play with or work with through by by this particular aspect of Lenny. Obviously, if it's into the character of Lenny as written, if it's into like uh, his relationship to Spencer, like his you know particular austerity with regards to religion. Like I also think there are the other things that are happening too. Mm. That's a very like fan reader centric view. How <laughs> how do you feel about that? Um, well, reader response theory is a legitimate way of thinking. Um, we are all taught to do reader response theory in high school, everybody. Um, I th- I am going to stick with like the queer reading of this as him being really closeted yeah. um, and doing some internalized homophobia. But also we know that um, Lenny has a very hardline stance about sin, yes. um, which is another theme of this episode in some ways um, of like all the sinning we just do by existing, really, yeah. um, or just by being human. Indeed, and there's, there also is a certain playfulness that the show has with Lenny's anti-gayness, mm, like yeah. witness, and the way that people respond to it, right? So Tommaso, mm-hmm. with this innocent, but I think knowingly innocent, like laughing, joking, buoyant voice, right. tells Lenny... It's so strange. All of a sudden, I have all of the cardinals coming to tell me in detail and at length about their, like, encounters with women or, like, sex with women or however it is that Tommaso says that. It's like there's that aspect of it. And then Lenny, in his manipulation of joking, not joking ways, slightly implies that maybe 
he planted this with Voyello because mm-hmm. he like he's like trapping Voyello to like oh Voyello I now know you told all these you know fifty other cardinals about my plan because right. I all wanted Tommaso but like I think ultimately is real so there's also Lenny's toying with it there that that was quite amusing mm-hmm. there was as you pointed out Voyello's line about I promise you I'm he- I'm hat but like I <laughs> you know I just can't provide any witnesses to right that. right yeah um, I also think a little bit about um, the fact that this. It's like, I don't know. I feel like the Catholic Church's homophobia, this is a really hot take, not their worst sin. Not the worst tenet of, of, of Catholicism. I think we often go, uh, we often align the Catholic Church as being anti-queer. Yeah. They are. That's absolutely true. Um, I think that their um, purveyance of colonialism is actually worse in many ways. Um, and the fact that they are incredibly racist also, um, I think is also a problem. Um, but it's such a, it's such a way to like win the hearts of people of like, if you find out someone, um, it's, it's such a sway, like other shows will be like, well, oh, they really accept their queer kids. Like they immediately become a more sympathetic character or Mm. a sympathetic I think Lenny would otherwise be more sympathetic if he were pro queer, but I think that's also just like some writing choices. I really, really agree with what you just said there because I think about it in two contexts. One, a less important one, and then a, one that I want to spend some more time with on a later episode, actually. And the less important one is that, like, I even think about, you know, the fact of like Joe Biden's stance on uh, on abortion, right? right? Like Joe Brandon. Um, you know, like <laughs> I don't really think abortion is is a Catholic. Like, you know, I can't morally support it. But like Roe was correctly decided is like the right. effectively the soundbite he gave a couple of days ago um, on the in- anniversary of the Dobbs decisions. Feels mm-hmm. a weird thing to say anniversary about. But, um, but anyway, or like the different um, bishops and such throughout America who say yes or no, I will or will not allow churches in my parish to or in my um diocese what's what's yeah, the word diocese. diocese um to give biden communion right that there's like been arguments within mm. the catholic church about that so there's that aspect right. of it that or I'm like i know about. many sisters who are pro-abortion because they recognize it saves the life of other women yeah. um or is maybe the better decision overall um for protecting the sanctity of life yeah um it's a complex these are complex nuanced things and the church does not have the capability to be this nuanced about it yeah because they're trying to hurt us all in mm-hmm. and then that brings me to your second Second point that I'm thinking about in relation to what you said is, and this is, you know, you say that Lenny would be a much more sympathetic character to us as viewers if he were not so anti-queer. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the questions that the show ultimately asks, like at its most bottom root, is can we as viewers empathize with, and more than that, like emotionally resonate with and genuinely care for these characters Mm. who hold views that we probably, many of the viewers of an HBO prestige show, um, view as like fundamentally abhorrent. Right. And so that's a, because we're, you know, 50 plus minutes in already and still have segments to go, I don't want to quite necessarily (laughs) open that box today, but like that is, and maybe that's a like, let's get to the end of the end of this show and discuss that. But I think that on a purely kind of emotional and psychic level, that's one of the things that the show is most interested in that is both specific to Catholicism, but is a fundamental question that any number of kinds of works of art, works of fiction, TV and film want to ask is like, what is your emotional reaction in response to, and in what context can you, you know, to put it in like Catholic language, like provide mercy or forgiveness to this person, even with their abhorrence. Mm. 
Hmm. There's also a lot of like projection going on in there because I I do deeply feel for Lenny and do deeply. I agree. Feel for I mean, Boyello. I think yeah. The I well, like if we focus in on Lenny, like Lenny has things that I do resonate with, like his feelings of abandonment and his. Um, like distrust of others that he doesn't know very well. Like those are very human things to feel. Um, But I think that's one of the skills of the show is that it's always, it's always in shades of gray, Um, which HBO is also known for funding those shows. Of course, especially Um, about white men. So on that that note, should we head into the rectory? Yes. All right. Okay. I think you have a lot of rectory feelings. I do have some rectory feelings. Um, Okay. So um, some rectory things. Um, I predict that um, it, in the next two episodes, okay. um, there will be a Lenny Esther encounter where she really deliberately tries um, to seduce him. Like maybe she shows up to his apartments naked. Um, and We've then, seen her praying naked twice. Yes. And then it just blows up in her face. My other prediction is that Sister Mary is going to um, eventually like cold cock Foyello and like <laughs> totally punch him. Um about the Esther situation or just in general? I think just in general. Okay. And maybe it has to do with Esther. I'm not sure. Okay, fair. Um, I also predict that we are going to see the death of beloved Girolamo. Mm. Um, it will be um, a very anguishing moment for Voyello. Maybe it gets him to confess all of his sins. Um, I predict that when Gutierrez, Gutierrez is going to go to New York City to deal with the Kurtwell case... Um, and he's going to go to a gay bar and live his best life and then feel extremely guilty about it later. Okay. Um, I also think Voyello might be arrested. And For? He might, do you have a crime prediction that um, he's committed? We've, I think We've discussed embezzlement. Right. I think either embezzlement or, or something's going to happen where his ruses will be uncovered and he will be able to be at least arrested. Maybe he's persecuted. We don't know. We'll see. But he's going to get in big trouble. Right. I, I, I have only a no like comment. Like visions of like the Swiss guard taking him down. <laughs> Swiss guard purple for Loyola? Oh, yeah. That would be, that'd be a great scene. Um, I have, can only no comment all of these. Okay. Um, but I do appreciate all of these predictions deeply and truly. Thank you. Thank yes. You. Let's go to Gloss. Okay. There's a lot of shit that happened in this episode right. that we haven't even had the chance to talk about That's yet. True. So you mentioned Gutierrez in the rectory, Regan. Yes. We get this conversation between Lenny and Gutierrez at the very end of the episode is they're watching the sisters um, take their afternoon nap where Lenny informs Gutierrez that almost like as a personal challenge to Gutierrez Mm -hmm. and as one of the only one and a half or let's say two and a half people that Lenny actually trusts. Right. That Gutierrez is the person who's going to be uh, sent to New York to investigate and Gutierrez frames it as punishment. Right. Lenny frames it as a promotion. Right. So how did you respond to the disagreement that the two of them have in that particular moment? Um, so I thought it was really interesting. I can think of, like, we know, the things we know about Gutierrez is that, you know, he is, like, so good. Like, you know, he's so good that he's, like, childlike in some ways, as we saw last episode. Um, he also, we learned how afraid he is of the outside world. He's very comfortable. A recluse, he calls himself. Yes. He doesn't know how to order food at a restaurant. Yeah. He doesn't know how to do so many things, which is really interesting because, like, presumably he lived some life before going to the seminary with this mother who did not scorn wickedness. Mm. Um, 
But he's very scared to leave what he knows to be familiar. He might also be, I think, scared of temptation. This is why I think he's scared to go to NYC. I think that he is uncomfortable with leaving. Um, and then we get this like amazing vision moment of him. Absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. Right? I think also probably my probably my second favorite sequence after um, Esther attempting to get pregnant. So where he's having a discussion with his mother slash his Mary, <laughs> who are kind of one and the same yeah. in this episode. We also learned that his first name is Bernardo, uh-huh. which could refer to St. Bernard of Clairvaux, usually, um, who was a mystic um, in the Catholic Church. Um, but also, like, quite an old-fashioned name, I think, Bernard. Um, but we learned that about his first name, and he's having, like, this long discussion um, Oh, interesting. Bernard comes from the West Germanic um, with burn meaning bear and hard be meaning brave or hardy. Interesting. Um, <laughs> so um, he's really in a moment of vulnerability, maybe showing like the lack of bravery he has, um, but having like just this long discussion with his mother slash the actual Virgin Mary, we don't know, probably the same in his mind. Yes. Um, where he's really debating like the mission that's been given to him. Mm-hmm. Um, with, Twice his mother slash sister Mary saying, you know, the boy has become the man yes. or something like that. So and Gutierrez is what, 50? Maybe. Yeah, 40s, 50. Yeah. Um, the beard, you can never quite tell. So, yes. I mean, there's, again, Gutierrez is just another one of these like deeply emotionally resonant figures in this show and its ability to put that in like what he even calls, because this is something he says he wants to give in to the complex and unfathomable architecture of the church. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what he needs to, like, maintain his um, sense of self. Like, we know he's an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So I think there's also a question about the vision that he has. Like, to what extent is that Lenny's vision? Mm-hmm. To what extent is that Gutierrez's vision vision? To what extent is that Gutierrez is drunk and having, like, some sort of hallucination or blackout? Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't think that's, like, communicated directly in that scene. But I think that with the context from the last episode mm-hmm. is something we can ask of it. He asks Lenny to spare him, right? Because the world is too big for him. And again, there's this difference between um, Bernardo, who I enjoy calling him now that we know his name, you know his name as well, that Bernardo like calls this a cruel decision by Lenny. Mm. And Lenny calls it believing in him, right? As he tells right. um, Gutierrez, I trust you blindly. Right. Well, I And th- he is blind thus far to Gutierrez's alcoholism, as yes. far as we know. And homosexuality. Yes. Um... So I think that he... Okay, so this is where I'm going with, like, from an education background. Please. Um, So one thing that we see about uh, Gutierrez is that he really... uh, He says that he's nothing without the church. Like, he lives a very regimented life. Um, Young children thrive when they know what is happening next, right? Um, I think that is one thing we know as teachers that like you have to have some sense of the pattern of how the class is going to go yes. in order for students to excel. Please God, like just have a plan and like yeah. right, right. And they well, students want to have a plan. You also want to have a plan, yeah. right? Not everybody does in no, our line of work. Sadly. This is true. Um, some people, you know, I'm not a very structured lesson planner. I think you are a more structured <laughs> structured lesson planner than I am. But people thrive best when they know what's expected of them. Um, he, one, has never done this sort of work before. He's always said that he's, you know, he wants to be one with the buildings yeah. for one. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so he, by going, by throwing him into New York City, also with the implications of kind of the wild chaos of the new world, the wild chaos that comes with being in New York City, uh, (laughs) he's given less structure and that will set him up to fail. Yeah. Right. He may relapse in his alcoholism. He's maybe made progress. We don't know. Without that sort of structure, he's, he's very nervous. And so when we see like... As you become an adult, like there's less and less structure given to your lives, right? So now, with when we're talking about, well, the boy is becoming the man, we're taking you out of your structured situation. Like, there's a very structured way that elementary schoolers go about the day. Like, everyone in the United States of America who went to a school has had the same kindergarten experience, right? There's always the same beats throughout the day. There was circle time in the morning. You did the days of the week song. You all, we always do these same things, right? <laughs> so now he's having to do the adult thing of dealing with the chaos of the world. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, we all thrive in our routines, but is your routine ever actually the same every day as an adult? Not in this world, but in the Vatican and deeply into Catholicism, there's much more ritual throughout the day. Yeah, provides the earth order, right? So there's a metaphor that Gutierrez gives to describe precisely this dynamic that I found so evocative on behalf of the writers of the show and then the way that he, um, that Javier Camara gives the the line, which is that he's like a canary in a cage, and if you let them out, then they die. Yes. Right? So, like, if we think about the canary in a cage metaphor, for it, it's giving Maya Angelou, it's right. giving Marilyn Fry, mm-hmm. right? In terms of her, you know, Fry's writing about oppression and like her birdcage metaphor. So there, like, there's that, there's questions about freedom and questions about confinement that are right. and contained within there. So that's kind of one direction that it mm-hmm. evokes. In another direction that it evokes, we can think of the canary in a coal mine metaphor. Right. So it's like, who in the world of the young Pope is the canary in the coal mine, right? right. Like, is it Esther? Is it um, Sari? Is it Boyello? Is it Oz- Right, who is the um, like person in the world of the young pope that is the like one who flees or the one who dies or the one who gets lost or the one who is debilitated as an indicator of some greater thing yet to happen? Mm. But then, like, the other way to take the canary in a coal mine connection is the like Catholic sex abuse, right? right? And abuse of children. Like, actually, you know, we now know there are thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, mm-hmm. right, of accounts of that. And, like, how many canaries in the coal mine were harmed and had to, like, fall right. along the way in order to get there? And that's all, of course, happening within the Crowell case. So, like, I feel fine with this extensive overreading of that line. I'm going to take it one more place Please with the birdcage metaphor. I'm going to take relate it back to infamous gay film, The Birdcage, mm. otherwise based on the cage of a hall. Sure. Um, which is French play about gay identity and yeah. how it's important. Um, right. So I'm, so we're lots Somehow of I suspect that's Paolo Sorrentino's, what he's thinking about. You think so? Yeah. Okay. Um, because that is one thing of like, right, the, the club and the birdcage is called the birdcage, right? And it's a place where birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but also about how like, it's really important to feel unconfined. So if he, I think with him leaving the birdcage, it's an erasure of what he understands about himself yeah. and what he feels comfortable with about himself. Yeah. Versus like, if he leaves that cage, he's going to have to deal with who he is outside of the church. Yeah. Where else can anyone in the world go for such analysis of like particular lines in the young Pope. Nowhere is the answer. <laughs> Nowhere. Um, Another like, brilliant scene in this episode that we've yet to mention at all is the scene with the Prime Minister of Greenland. Right. Um, 
who is wears a veil, right? Right, in the way that like Sophia doesn't. The other members of the Greenland delegate, other women in the Greenland uh, right. delegation, do not. Um, and has a bizarre and problematic and also kind of profound conversation with Lenny, right? Um, while everybody looks on, makes jokes, exchanges awkward glances. Yes. What? did you respond to most in that back and forth? Um, well, I thought really interesting that she turns up not just in a veil, but in a mantilla, which is a really antiquated way of looking at, like I a lot of only like the most traditional of Catholic women that I know wear um, any sort of head covering in the church. I've seen it, but she herself professes that she's most likely along with the much of the population of Greenland, uh, an evangelical Lutheran. Yes. That, for one, is like, I thought was really interesting that she's like cosplaying as traditional Catholic <laughs> as possible, like trying to be very, very um, pious. Um, interesting dialogue. I thought it was interesting that she brings him a fish. Yes. Um, the biggest halibut caught in Greenland in the last week. Right. Vacuum sealed. Vacuum sealed. At which point, Sylvia Orlando gives a beautiful, fucking hilarious line reading of, oh, this is so lovely. <laughs> we poached in a light broth, like Bizonia. And then she looks at him and is like, Bizonia? He's like, sea bass. bass. Sylvia Orlando, like, be still my heart. Right. I'm into this. Um, I would love to have this dish, um, Bizonia. This is like the bare young pope crossover we didn't know we needed. <laughs> right. Um, so I think that's really interesting because obviously fish in the Catholic Church also are highly <laughs> symbolic. Yes. Um, both with um, like the in, the famous Henry fish. Um, I will say it was hilarious to me one time I was told as a high schooler that if you go into a college campus and you look at people's the back of people's cars, you'll see the Henry fish. Right. But some of them have the feet on them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do we have any colleagues that have an Henry fish with a feet on them in their cars? We need to look. We do need to look, although we're going to need to wait until the semester starts and maybe go to a different building. I think we need to go to H- the Hudson parking yeah, lot. Exactly. Or Ward. Yeah. Um, and just see. <laughs> Beaumont, yeah. Yeah, Beaumont or Hudson. Lots of, uh, lots of the fish with feet at my undergrad, like uh, in the student parking lot, because okay. like there's a certain like secular Colorado vibe mm, to the okay. place. Yeah. Um, not a lot of fish with feet. Mostly fish. A lot of um, St. Christopher medallions okay. <laughs> in cars. My mom has a Christopher medallion and that she attaches to her the visor of her car. Um, but also symbolic of like um, the fish multiplying of fish and bread. Mm-hmm. Um, or like you have a fish fry during Lent. Yeah. Right? Uh, I do love a good fish fry. <laughs> um, so kind of just hilarious and interesting. Um, but also talking about like this one small Catholic population in the town of Nuke. Mm-hmm. Um, which I was I thought was interesting because um, for me, I was like, Nuke, um, I'm thinking like maybe Greenland doesn't want them there. Like they would rather nuke that population. <laughs> so I, I did do some uh, Wikipedia research. Oh, it's real? So Nuke is the capital of Greenland. Oh, I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I see. And Greenland corrected. population is 85% Inuit. Yes. Which was also an yeah. interesting casting choice for me because they decided to a white woman as a prime minister. Although I think that, again, this is like purely looking at the images of like the political leaders in Greenland. They okay. are white. I'm, yeah. Well, hmm. like, white, like white euros. Okay. Like I knew they were primarily Inuit. Um, but yeah, I definitely was like, um, what is happening here? Um, and then Lenny like makes this like kind of fucked up metaphor of like Catholics as the Native Americans of Greenland. Gross. Which like 
disgusting. And, like, there's a lot of, like, the dichotomy of Lenny, of petulant, childish Lenny, and deep, profound Lenny are both at work in this scene, more Mm -hmm. so the petulant Lenny, right? Like, there are these multiple places in this scene where he is just, he sounds like the seven-year-old child that he was when he got left at the orphanage, right? right? Like, what did you bring me? We were there first, right? This Native Americans metaphor. But then there's also the, um, like, very amusing and maybe he's trying to toy with her toy with his audience of like the members of the curia that are there but he's like well what's under all that ice and there's like some sex metaphor happening there right. too or like sexual wordplay um but then like for him it's like god is under all the ice right, right. he's he's like the scientists are wrong <laughs> right. what if god was one of us just a slob like one of us trying to ice fish like one of us so a thing I discovered, speaking, speaking of the Midwest and speaking of Joan Osborne, um, <laughs> I discovered just a couple of days ago, Prince recorded a cover of What If God Was One of Us. I'm in. It is amazing. Like, it will change your fucking life. So everybody, pause this podcast, all our millions of listeners, go listen to Prince uh, covering of God Was One of Us. This I love it. exact second. Oh, Great. That should be the outro music. <laughs> Speaking of outro music, how does this episode end? Um, I thought hilariously. Um, so they kind of took the vein of last episode where it wasn't the fade to black immediately. Yeah. And we watched the Prime Minister of Greenland dance along to this Italian singer who's famous in Greenland. Nada. Nada, yes. Um, and just, she's boogieing down and I kind of love it. Um, I was there for it. Um, my second rewatch of it, I danced along with her. Yeah. Um, Is it like great tune? Great tune. I'm here for it. I do love a good, um, good Italian Euro disco. Yeah. Um, and I'm um, just showing like some joy, but it's some interesting facts. Um, I don't really. In your research, did you find that the show's claim that Greenlanders like the South Americans are known for their love of spontaneous dance? <laughs> did not get that deep into okay. the wiki entry. I, I would assume as um, someone well. <laughs> Okay. Well versed in, um, you know, the Scandinavian adjacent life, that dancing is not a big part of Greenlandic <laughs> life. But we have, we do know now that Nada is a real person. Okay. Yes. Great. So that's a song that exists in the world, not just in the universe of the show, presumably. Now we know. Yeah. Really, like, quite a good ending of, like, ending on, like, a little bit of joy and also, like, fitting with the theme of embodiment of someone Mm -hmm. just, like, letting loose. So we have, yeah, so we also have the bodies of the baptized children in this episode. (laughs) Hilarious scene. Right, hilarious scene. She takes after you. It's clear that she's adopted, but it doesn't matter. She takes after you. Oh, my God, Lenny. So he's got he's got Gutierrez, like, whispering the name of each child, and the child comes up. And Lenny doesn't care, like, the most monotone, boring, uh, takes, you know, he takes after you, she takes after you, uh, never even looks at the, at the child. Right. And to give the line, um, and, like, gives a very boring Latin, like, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Right. Spiritus Sancti is, like, is a very beautiful, um, mm-hmm. like, a sound sounds very nice it's a very pleasing sound um and then uh, an adopted black child comes with two white parents and he gives the same but he catches himself he like fixes the he fixes it kind of like beautifully saves his mistake which is like like, it's clear enough that you're you're already um you know you're raising her is taking effect on uh, yeah on her the show has it's strange politics views of race um, it really does we get the kangaroo appearing yet again. Right. He commands it to jump, but he is only friend St. Francis of Sydney and not <laughs> a CC. The kangaroo yeah. does not jump, yeah. um, but still making its home 
In uh, the Papal Gardens. Yeah. In, like, prime Pope athleisure wear, which is, like, yes. maybe my favorite bunny outfit at the moment. It is good. It's, it's quite the fit. Um, quite the fit. Yeah. The holy jumpsuit. <laughs> it struck me in this episode, and it's happened a couple of different times, but there are a couple of scenes in particular where, like, the creepiness of Amatucci just, I thought, was something that I noticed particularly right. in this episode. Which is wild, because I didn't notice that at all. <laughs> um, I guess I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. Enough. Um, in a bunch of different places. And I think we now are just taking some time in glass every week to talk about the things that made us laugh yes. in the episode. Do you, do you have any you want to share, sort of, um, with? <laughs> I would say um, the whole halibut situation I thought was really <laughs> funny. Um, I think the jump, I think um, Voyello's jump scares are generally a yes. good laugh. Yes, definitely. Um, Voyello has this line to Esther where, like, so he's about to blackmail Esther. Right. Sits her down in, like, the dark candlelit dining room, probably one of several dining rooms in his palatial apartment. Yeah. Um, and it's like, yo, would you want some espresso? And he says, uh, do, you, do you want some sugar? You young people go crazy for the cane sugar. Um, right. A call back to last episode where he says that the raw sugar yeah. makes him want to puke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What what a line! What a line. Uh, young people go crazy um, for danger. <laughs> right, um, I do think the inter the interchange between Sister Surrey and Pope Lenny is is funny because it's stilted yeah. but also poignant. Yeah, um, the wheeling in of the record player to play the Nada song. <laughs> yeah. It's like we're in this extremely ornate uh, city state and they have like a rickety table that I think like a substitute teacher rolled out when I was in like second grade with like an old school like boxy TV on it right? Um, to play the Nada song and like it's one of these it's like a scene that lasts just a couple seconds too long that's played for laughs that mm-hmm. I found effective um, and then like the way that it's shot there's um, then and then when Lenny is watching TV I think there's some of the similar kind of camera shots about um, like the record player like kind of cuts the room in half and the way that it's shot it's as if like we're meant to imagine people on the other side of the record player like dancing or singing or doing Ah, something Hmm. Um, so I really enjoyed that situation I think there's some Esther humor that provides a bit of levity to this episode like she's always carrying her rollerblades around and we confirm that they're rollerblades and not skates in this episode Um, like white and pink like would fit in the forthcoming Barbie movie uh, rollerblades then she's just like chilling in the kiddie pool uh, I would do that you know it's it's a great idea right Uh, I was jealous of her but it was also just amusing as her and Lenny exchange looks because like her and Lenny are always crossing paths yes um, when she's in less clothes or in right. well although Fox like with her clothes on still yeah um, well yeah yeah they're both they both have their shirts on while, yeah. while fucking yeah um so you also have noted lip reading yeah so there's so in the prayer conversation we then get a cut to Amatucci and Voyello and there's like a pan there's like a zoom out that's like from a cartoon or like a like comedy show okay. and like Amatucci has like had the binocular like oh, the, not binoculars like the like, like long range telescope um, and like lip reads back the entire conversation to Voyello and like Voyello's like oh you're really good at lip reading and it's just like they're in this tower spying there's like the pan, the zoom out that's really funny to me there's the binoc- there's like there's lots of humor visual humor uh, in that particular yeah. moment that I enjoyed no a good one um, definitely a show that can balance some weird stuff with some funny stuff. I think it's one of the funnier shows, to be quite honest. But I actually, like, I am 
pretentious and don't watch a lot of just like pure comedies. So that's probably why I say that. I'm on but team like, team convert John to a le- to a Ted Lasso fan eventually. Fuck no, that's not uh, gonna happen. No, Ted Lasso is um, so good. No, that's I think I I think that show would infuriate me okay. from everything I've read and heard about it. Um, no, but like this to me is way more humorous than a comedy ever can be. Mm-hmm. Is is how I think about it. Um, so should we go to potpourri? Potpourri time. All right, where do you want to start? Um, so we have a lack of, even though this is an episode that themes around sister, around Mary a lot, Sister Mary doesn't show up much, yeah. um, which makes me sad. I miss you already. Um, lots of appearances of the Virgin yeah. Mary, however. Um, so both with Mary of Lords, um, with this um, intense scene um, involving um, Esther attempting to get pregnant, her husband, Peter, Peter Railing or whatever, um, we decided to call this. And then also... Um, with uh, Gutierrez's mom um, slash maybe Mary. We don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so I thought um, some interesting looks into how important the Virgin Mary is to Catholic, like the Catholic Church. We're going to get some more Mary coming up soon in the cave. Um, you noted prayer instruction as yes. some potpourri <laughs> material. Right. Were you instructed on how to pray frequently as a youth? Um, I was more like I was instructed on what prayers to okay. say. So, yeah. Yeah. you know. Um, uh, interesting to me that there has yet to be um, anyone doing the Our Father or um, the Hail Mary, but instructed on how to interact with God at least. Um, that I think I don't think I maybe I wasn't paying attention. I was not a very good Sunday school student. Um, <laughs> What's the prayer that Lenny and Esther are both saying in Latin when like he's walking around the gardens muttering and she is in the kiddie pool? Is it is it Hail Mary in? Oh, we would need to in Latin. To check. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Know. Were we neither of us are Latin speakers? That's okay. Okay. Um, um, you yeah. say that baptism is hilarious. I think baptism is the funniest, right? I yeah. do. Um, just because the children are chaotic. Uh-huh. Um, as I said in a previous episode, like recently saw a video of like a child attempting to be <laughs> baptized, and then he just slides right out of the font. Um, so definitely hilarious. Um, the monotony of like trying to baptize all of these like ninety odd children that have turned up from around Europe um, is quite funny. Great, I really enjoyed the wall of crucifixes that Voyello is no, praying to. Um, like really, really gorgeous. Um, and actually, the like baptism stuff and the crucifix stuff is also a connection between. Uh, us here with Young Pope in mm-hmm. seasons two and three of The Americans. So we got some good crossovers there. I think it's time for a sub-segment, a mini-segment um, that I, I've decided to call, and you can change this if you want, Regan. Um, <laughs> where in the world is John's confirmation name? I'm here. Okay. I like that. I'm so a fan. this week, due to a TikTok that Regan sent me, um, when she had to text me, because I am an old-ass Luddite and I'm not on TikTok, uh, we found out that apparently I have some problematic affinities with St. Michael. <laughs> Um, so Regan, I'm going to read some of what St. Michael is patron over and you can kind of, you know, pick, pick, pick what you want out of these to, to talk about. Okay. Um, protector of the Jewish people, which I just want to say seems problematic AF, uh, guardian of the Catholic church, uh, Vatican city, France, Germany, Normandy, and then perhaps would be more interesting, poor souls, uh, and then for protection against lightning strokes and windstorms. Mm. of St. Michael. Interesting. Well, I thought it was interesting that you had ascribed to yourself as St. Michael because if I look at this TikTok um, in which it's quite funny. Um, I guess we have to link to this TikTok in the we, show notes. We can try. Um, <laughs> we can try. <laughs> so the title the title card of this TikTok, which is one of the slidey TikToks, says, ask your friends which would... 
which one would have been your confirmation saint based on my biased views in which I went through this whole thing and um, really had ascribed you to Saint <laughs> Sebastian. Okay, please read Sebastian. Um, so this person has claimed Saint Sebastian, um, man, women do not ch- don't choose Saint <laughs> Sebastian, closeted homosexual, bottom, date dreamer, art enthusiast, definitely read the song of Achilles, you clearly wish to be Achilles despite being clearly being Patroclus. <laughs> um, the things that stuck out to me were, um, man, uh, you are not a closeted homosexual. True. Um, I do think you are clearly an art enthusiast. Yeah. Um, I think you should read the song of Achilles. I think you would enjoy it. It's very sad. Yeah. Um, very sad and very gay. (laughs) However, this person, I have a paperback copy if you'd like to borrow it. Um, this person has described St. Michael as oldest sibling, massive anger issues, inferiority complex, masked as entitlement, too proud, values and appearance, drama queen. Yeah. (laughs) What? I don't necessarily see you yeah, as. Yeah, I think but. that's more me. So who did you identify as? Because my oh. reading of who uh, identified you with matched yours in this case. Okay, you went for um, Mary Magdalene for also? You, yeah, yeah, okay. I did. Mary Magdalene has uh, been described by this person as, refer to yourself as a recovering, recovering Catholic when you are simply delusional. I am, you know, maybe a little delulu. Um, <laughs> very much into tarot and the occult. This is very true. true. I have um, six sets of tarot cards. That's right. It's um, gone up recently. I forgot that. Yeah. Uh, no, I've had the, the plant deck for a while. Okay. Um, uh, had a Wicca phase. I'm still in the Wicca phase. Um, incense. I actually hate incense. That's I'm not true. a fan. That's true. Um, alternative, yes. Um, in middle school, I would probably have been advised to pray for you. <laughs> middle school Regan needed any any support she could get, <laughs> frankly. Oh, that was quite the whirlwind. Uh, we're in the world of Sean Confirmation with some bonus content. Maybe we'll explore Sebastian in the next episode. Maybe. As a possible saint for me. Right. But it's time to continue Hot Confessor Summer. Regan, right. what is our Hot <laughs> Priest rating for this week? So this episode, I felt more sympathetic towards Lenny um, and how he interacts with a lot of different women. Um, inter- saw him interact with some children. He's kind of being his most charming in this episode. Um, so I would give him the Hot Priest rating of Alfie from <laughs> Alfie. Um, if you have not watched the 2004 remake of Alfie, um, this used to Alfie was first played by Michael Caine. Michael Caine! <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then um, it's played by Jude, Jude Law in the 2004 update, um, in which um, Alfie Elkins is a Cockney limo driver who lives in Manhattan. That's the update. Um, and he's a sex addict who has a lot of one night stands. Um, it's ultimately kind of a rom-com where he um, makes better about his interactions with women. Yeah. And I thought, OK, this was like a more sympathetic view for me of uh, of Lenny, where he's a little more sympathetic. It was nice just to see him interact with women in a way that wasn't horrible. Um, you know, he didn't make anyone cry this episode, really. Sorry. But she was already crying. It's true. It's true. Did, I think that was that, that's a loaded gun there. I like this hot priest rating. Um, I think like I think you conceptually like hundred percent add this one. And Alfie's kind of like the direct middle. Yeah, which is accurate, right? Like I don't love this hair for Jude Law, mm-hmm. or when it's spikier, when it's a little it's, bit like shaggier. So like we're looking here. <coughs> the poster, the, um, the poster it's great, the but then some of the stills, like we got some. It's very, blonde, spiky, it's very 2004 yeah, hair. Yeah. It's very 2004 hair. Odds, odds douchebag. Yeah. yeah. But striking jawline, always yeah. wearing a good suit. Still looks great. Yes. Um, I love this like dark suit, pink shirt, um, and this one particular still we're looking at at the moment. So, so. 
it's another successful hot priest rating. Imagine Thank you. That. Thank you. Um, we got we got six more to go. Do we have six more? Oh, yeah. I think. All right. Jude Law has been in a lot of movies. He has. It's going to be has okay. Indeed. Yeah, he is. As we discovered recently, 47 or something, yes. which is remarkable. All right, time for the cave. Um, <laughs> Regan, who told me that she's basically memorized Aquinas and <laughs> can just uh, like glance at any page of the uh, political writings of Thomas Aquinas, um, Cambridge version, and immediately know where to go. This is like, we're not lying to you when we do this segment. Like, we are actually reading the lines that Regan points to, unless they're in Latin. So uh, here we have um, from the, not we're not in the Summa anymore. Regan not only has memorized the Summa. Well, to be fair, John flips through the page. Pages, I just pick a line. Yeah, I mean, it's I, a dual. Yeah, I, it, and it's a random page. I'm not. Yes. I'm trying to distribute it throughout the the copy. So here we're actually in the uh, scripta super libro sententarium. Okay, that's like I said, my Latin's not ideal. Actually, I apologize. We're at the very, very end of the Summa. We have not yet started the scripta. Um, so here's here's Aquinas for this week. <clears throat> Quote: Moreover, by apostasy from the faith. A man turns away from God, but he does this by every other sin as well. Mm. End quote. What do you make of this one? Well, I think we are also we're watching um, Gutierrez um, kind of waver in yeah. how he feels about God. Um, we also saw Sister Suri say that if she left the Vatican, the home of God, pres- presumably in Catholicism, she would just stop believing if she went back to Sri Lanka. And there's been a lot of talk of like um, turning away from God. And then I also think about the thing that you mentioned before we started recording um, as we were kind of planning uh, where this episode would go, um, which I'm going to let you talk about. And then maybe I'll come up with more things. I don't even remember what I was going to oh, say. Oh, um, you said that this is the beginning of a theme in the, in the show that um, Lenny always asks people how they came to, to God or they came to Catholicism and why they chose to go into service of God. Yeah, so Lenny, and I'm not even in the start, but it happens twice in this episode. And I think mm-hmm. it's happened once in all of the previous episodes where he asks how people first came um, to God. And so here he had asked Sari, but he also asks Foyello mm-hmm. um, about his calling and like obviously Lenny's is complicated and he's like I think searching out for this like where does one finds one find one's faith and one's calling and then like with regards to this particular quote I think that we have a little bit um, of the how is Lenny both separated from but also deeply connected to like the mass of Catholics that supposedly he mm. is uh, connected to as Pope right because like the apostasy from the faith is actually Lenny Right, like he's the he's the one who has committed the most apostasy mm-hmm. of all of the characters on the show so far. I think um, right. when it comes to it, but then like if we believe Voyello or if we believe Catholic dogma or whatever, then like all humans are sinners fundamentally, like whether originally or just as part of the human condition, whatever. Um, so there's the way in which like Lenny, who is ostensibly at least in the eyes of like a devotee like esther is without sin right but we we as audience know he's sinning through his apostasy and uh Mm -hmm. in the aquinas Mm -hmm. sense Mm -hmm. whereas like all of the other people like are in their like menial their menial venial uh sins um that they commit or they're more uh serious sins that they commit Mm -hmm. um right whether it's you know esther sleeping with valente according to boyello whether it's boyello accusing himself Mm -hmm. so we have like aquinas putting all of these together is like one of a kind in terms of sin vis-a-vis god um lenny's on the apostasy side the others in the show are on the other side of it Mm. But again, I'm just spinning out nonsense about Aquinas <laughs> and the young Pope. So, like, you know, this is a, an, an, an Something exercise. Something that Aquinas himself would be here for. We hope so. I think 
you would be. Thank you. Um, I don't know why I'm thanking you for that. I don't know if that was about me in particular. It was more about Aquinas. That's my grandiose, uh, you know, uh, my situation. All right. Time for theory shipping. Yes. You've got a great one. Let's hear it. Um, So this episode, um, I am going to assign the entire um, cast, um, our entire cast of characters to read anything by um, Sandra Gilbert and Susan Gubar, who are feminist um, writers. They write together a lot about the role of women. Their famous book is The Mad Woman in the Attic. Um, but they also have another, I would have to track it down a little more, another very interesting um, theory about the Madonna horror complex, um, which is something we, you know, second wave and third wave feminism talk a lot about, um, where we're kind of seeing weird depictions of women and how they use their bodies. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, maybe we could all use a little refresher that women are not just, you know, empty vessels to be filled with semen, yeah. um, but have, have brains and um, other things that are not just there to be Madonna or whore. Yeah. Much better theory ship than mine. Um, congratulations. Thank <laughs> oh, you thank for you. that. I put um, a lot of thought on the theory ship. Deep, so do I. Um, just because it's Foucault again doesn't mean I didn't okay, put a lot of thought into that. it. But a deep cut from Regan and the most obvious possible cut from me. Um, I'm going to assign Foucault, particularly the part of History of Sexuality, Volume mm. 1, about the confession to Voyello. Because, mm, like, well, obviously okay. one of the things that Foucault is doing with the kind of figure of the confession or confessional or confessional power um, in discourse in History of Sexuality is thinking about how, like, the Catholic confessional is, in fact, a paradigm for all of these, like, incitements to speak and to self-disclose through channels of power. And we're producing power, knowledge, and discourse, right, in their nexus together um and i think that like voyello particularly embodies that in this episode where he is you know essentially demanding that um esther kind of confess herself for the good of the church so there's this like um conglomeration of the confession itself or like the demand or incitement to confess or to Mm -hmm. speak including specifically about sex and sexuality for actually what is like an exercise or operation or function of state power Mm. So that's the, that's the Foucault this week. Okay. Okay. Um, we have a little bonus cave this week, however, because we get an actual direct um, reference. We find out that Lenny's a Spinoza guy in this yes. episode. So, I don't know anything about Spinoza, so, so I'm Spinoza, not going to near and dear, um, he's, we've been like holding him off from the cave back in Americans verse uh, for Danielle and I, I think. Um, so we have Lenny telling Esther... You know, Esther, Spinoza set us the most daunting challenge of them all. He said, he that loves God does not demand that God should love us in return. So, like, I'm a little less interested in that Spinoza than, like, the affect Spinoza. Mm. Um, But I was just very touching to me to hear Lenny invoke Spinoza. So we get a little (laughs) bonus cave there. And with that... Marathon episode. I think we did it. I think. Do you have anything else you'd like to confess to the young pope? No. All right. <laughs> we'll be back with uh, episode five of the young pope in a week. With that, we'd like to thank Danielle and Absentia. We'd like to thank producer Amy. And uh, until next time, you've been listening to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. 
Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon, and indirectly, producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball.